lost a loved one recently? Do you find it hard to move on with your life? There are lots of questions and a quest for a solution. Where do you start? Welcome to From Morning to Morning with your host, Rabbi Mel Glazer. Rabbi Mel and his guests are here to guide you through the different stages of grief and help you heal from your loss. You'll come away with a much better understanding of how you can move forward. Now, here's Rabbi Mel. Well, hello, everybody. Good evening here from sunny downtown Colorado Springs, Colorado, where it's about 12 degrees or something like that. And um, it's been kind of lousy this week, Uh, a lot of snow and ice on the roads and all that. Um, But you're not interested in that. You're interested in what we're going to talk about. So let's get right to it. Um, I found this wonderful commentary in the Guardian newspaper, which is an English-British newspaper, and it it is entitled, I Knew Nothing Would Be the Same Again, Readers on Their Partner's Death. And I thought I'd like to share with you some of the feelings and some of the responses to partner's deaths. Uh, with the introduction that I would just like to remind you from my book, which is called A GPS for Grief and Healing, A GPS for Grief and Healing. That's not a commercial, but it is. And everything that we talk about every week, somehow written about in this book. So there are going to be some comments that you're going to hear about Uh, spouses who have lost their spouse, their partner. And I just had a a woman whom I met in the hospital last week, not a member of my congregation, but one of God's children. And she, uh, I was there visiting because her husband was dying. And uh, so I talked a little bit or more than a little bit actually, I stayed about an hour, and we talked, and I talked about things that I've talked with you about, and then she asked me some questions. Um, I will just quote you the questions. Why am I so exhausted? Am I going crazy? What happened to all my friends? Where was God during all this? And do I need professional help? Those are good questions. They're excellent questions. They're questions that I hear all the time after the death of a loved one. Because your life sort of becomes unhinged. You don't know what you're doing. You don't know where you are. You don't know anything. And you think you're going crazy. And it's almost like depression. Grief or mourning, well, grief is like depression. The difference is depression lasts a longer amount of time. Grief, if it's handled correctly, as we've been talking about for the last year, yes, it's been a year, uh, grief um, can end. When you go through the morning cycle in the process, grief can end. So let me get on with, with these situations and these comments about the death of a, a partner or spouse. First, um, Gary Marson from Kingston upon Thames, those are all in England, says, I hope to learn to live again after my wife's suicide. We're starting with the heavy stuff. My wife Louise, a talented and much loved doctor, died by suicide in January 2015. It happened after a period of mental illness. I returned home from work to discover her body. She was 40 and I was 46. Both of us had spent so long trying to find love and we had been together just four and a half years, married for three and a half. When you have so little time together, the halves really count. 
I can only describe it as an earthquake that destroyed everything. Even now, two years on, I still think that if I was to turn the lights out and sit still, I would be able to feel myself reverberating inside from the shock. I suddenly went from being a happily married man to a widower. I knew immediately that nothing would ever be the same again. I experienced almost every possible emotion, grief, shock, bewilderment, guilt, especially guilt, anger, but above all, love. It was like falling in love with Louise for the first time all over again, but this time without the possibility of her returning that love. I cried every single day for six months. I cried in a way that I never knew was possible, with my whole body convulsing. But while my emotions were so heightened, there was also a sense of numbness and disbelief. I could tell the story of how I found her to family and friends without it having any effect. I was on autopilot. By the way, we call that shock. People mistake that numbness for strength, but I call it nature's anesthetic. It was the only way I could continue to function. And we've talked about that before. Shock is exactly that. Uh, when you're in shock, your body uh, becomes anesthetized to the pain that your heart is going through. And it is that shock, interestingly enough, that allows you to get through all this business, all through the grief and mourning process. It's the shock. And I have said many times that shock there are only two things that come out of shock. Shock can free you or shock can freeze you. That is, some people, when their partners die, they freeze up. They cannot move forward. They don't know what to do, where to go, what to say, how to react. They don't know what they don't know even. So they're frozen in time. There are other people who are much more fortunate who uh, through one way or the other, whether they go into a grief group or they go to a grief counselor like me, or they read a book like mine or other experts, they become free because they realize that yes, he or she died, my partner died. But the great secret, as I say all the time, is that you didn't die. I didn't die. My beloved one died, but I am still alive. And so I said to this woman last week, you know, your husband's going to die. And when he does, it's going to free you. And she thought I was being flip and, and almost arrogant. And I said, no, I don't mean it like that. What I mean is you can discover once again who you want to be. And in time, you will understand that you're not here on this earth just simply because of him. You are here on this earth because God put you here to be you. But you've been taking care of him or her for so long that you've forgotten what it is to be you. So shock, the shock of finding your husband or wife dead can either free you to become a new person or freeze you to remain the person that you are for the rest of your life. So again, he says, Whenever the waves of grief rolled over me, oh, I, I'm sorry, I skipped something. People mistake that numbness for strength, but I call it nature's anesthetic. It was the only way I could continue to function. Writing has helped me cope. I spent most of the first days 
pouring out my heart in my diary and then began to blog about my experiences. Whenever the waves of grief rolled over me, I reached for my laptop. It was therapeutic and the process of writing focused and calmed me. Now I'll tell you how I understand that. For him, it was the process of writing that was therapeutic. My take on all that is that you have to get out your feelings. You have to talk about your feelings. You cannot keep your feelings bottled up and expect to be free of the pain of death. You can't. It doesn't work. You have to respond to the death that you have experienced. You have to talk about it. You have to write about it as he did. You have to dance about it. You have to sing about it. You have to do something about it or do nothing about it. But if you do nothing about it, you'll be frozen for life. So for him, it was writing that calmed him. Two years on, things have become easier. The rawness of grief has faded and I'm trying unsuccessfully so far to date again in the hope of finding love once more. I can function at work, though still not quite at the same levels as before. Sometimes I seem to be able to break through the glass wall that has separated me from the rest of normal society and feel part of it once again. But my loss is never more than seconds from the forefront of my mind. It's, it's a long, hard, and lonely journey. The human spirit is resilient, however. We can absorb and cope with even the most crushing loss. The way it is after two months is not the way it is after six months, let alone 12 or 24. You never forget, you never lose your love, but you learn to function again. One day I hope to learn that it's possible not only to function again, but to live again. So that's the first sort of testimonial response. It's very interesting because what he's saying is so, is so normal. That is that he began the, to, to grieve and mourn the death of his wife. And he went back to work because, you know, you, you can only be sad for so long before you got to go out and buy groceries and go to work and make some money and pay the bills and all that. There are things we have to do in life. So he said he, he learned to function again. One day I hope to learn that it's possible to live again. So he understands what I have been saying, and that is that he can be free to choose another love for his life, and he seems like he's trying to do the best he can to do that, and he seems like he's positive about that. He wants to live again. What's scary when this happens to you, and I know it's happened to those of you who are my listeners tonight, uh, what's scary is that you don't know what the future is going to look like. You just do not know. And, you know, they were married for a short amount of time, but some of you have been married for 20 or 30 or 40 years, and then your partner dies, your loved one dies. Then you have to, as it were, start all over again because you're not going to stay the same that you were because you want to live. There's this, this feeling within us that God wants us to live, even if it means living without the ones we love. So I am so proud of this guy because he's honest about his feelings. He's honest about his reaction. He's willing to talk about it and share his feelings with his writing, writing about them and reading and 
Yes, crying. I don't think he cries as much as he did when she died because you gotta you get your tears out and then you know your tears help you heal and he's certainly on the way to healing I know you could hear that from the words that he is sharing with us so that's the first case the wife died from a mental illness which led to her suicide we know too many people that commit suicide because they are mentally ill and at the end of their lives they decide well you know at some point I know that I'm causing problems to the ones I love and what I think is that their problems will be averted and ended all I have to do is end my life now you can agree with that you cannot agree with that those of you whose partners have, cre have committed suicide, uh, you each have your own answers. I thank God, you know, nobody that I know personally in my family life has committed suicide. I have officiated the funeral of several of my members who have committed suicide. So I talk to families and I know what, what they're going through. So that's the first vignette. We have a couple more vignettes. It's time to take a break. So I'll be right back. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Believe it or not, the Bible talks a lot about grief and healing and can be a powerful source for us to move forward. For example, after Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt where they'd been slaves, they wandered in the desert for 40 years before God would let them into the promised land. God only wanted those who'd been born free, who'd never known slavery, to enter Israel. Those who had been slaves had to die out before their descendants would be allowed to enter the Promised Land. Find out more in Rabbi Mel Glazer's award-winning book, And God Created Hope. Available at Amazon and in Kindle format. When you're wandering after a life loss, you're really wandering in two directions at the same time. Part of you wants to go back, and part of you wants to go forward. That was also true of the Israelites when they were wandering in the desert with Moses. They didn't want to go back to being slaves, of course, but they did want to go back to the familiarity of home in Egypt. It was predictable and known, and they were afraid, like everyone is, of the unknown. Find out more in Rabbi Mel Glazer's award-winning book, A GPS for Grief and Healing, available at Amazon and in Kindle format. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. You are listening to From Morning to Morning. To find out more about our program, visit GriefOK.com. Again, that's GriefOK.com. Now, back to From Morning to Morning. Hi, everybody. Rabbi Mel back. We're talking about separate kinds of reactions that people have to the death of a loved one, a spouse, a partner. And I just read the first one uh, where they were younger uh, and uh, she was 40 and he was 46 and she died from suicide. She killed herself because she had was suffering from mental illness. I, I don't want to really get into mental illness, but one of the great issues of our time is the violence that exists in our world. And when I say violence, I'm talking about violence that's caused by human beings shooting up schools or movie theaters or uh, college campuses. And then if they are not 
found, if they are not killed by the police, uh, perhaps they are found to be suffering from some mental illness. And every time the society finds that out, so we go into a great debate once again, and that is, you know, couldn't this have been figured out? I mean, where were their parents? Didn't their parents realize that they were mentally ill? Didn't their parents realize that they were violence prone? And the other side says, no, you can't figure these things out. People hide, people become other kinds, take on other kinds of personalities. Uh, it's like living in subterfuge. And you can't tell, there are no, symbol, there are no symptoms before they engage in violence. I don't know the answer to that. Uh, connected to that is our prison system, you know? What's the purpose of our prison system? If somebody kills somebody else or commits another crime of violence because they're ill, they're sick, mentally and emotionally, well, does putting them in prison solve the problem or does it make it worse? I'm not here to judge anybody or any system. I'm just here to ask the questions. And I know some of you have relatives who are or have been imprisoned uh, for emotional kinds of reasons, and then they're punished. Yes, jail is a punishment, no question about it. Question is, does jail heal people? I don't know the answer to that. I don't think you do either. And there are advocates on both sides of the fence. All right, so. Next situation is a response from a woman by the name of Isabel, who heads her response by saying, the pain never lessens, but you just think about it less. The pain never lessens, but you just think about it less. Here's what she says. My husband died in 2007 from skin cancer. At just 60 years of age, he was fit and strong. Six months after his initial diagnosis and treatment, he developed secondary tumors in his brain. And as a result, he went on strong steroids that completely altered his character. He lost all self-awareness, becoming dangerous mostly to himself but also unintentionally to others. He had no real understanding that he was ill and expected everything to remain the same. He could not understand why he was not allowed to drive and that I had to hide his car keys. Always an equable and reasonable man, sweet-tempered and kind, his personality suddenly changed. My employers were good and let me have compassionate leave to look after him. As although he was not ill enough to be in hospital, he shouldn't be left alone. The doctors expected him to die in three months, but because he was so fit and strong, it took nearly nine months. Over this time, he grew more bewildered and frustrated. I rose to the occasion as one does and lived on adrenaline and little sleep. Towards the last two weeks, while he was still in hospital, floating in and out of consciousness, I was in pieces. I wanted his suffering to end, but also didn't want to lose him. After his death, I found it difficult. The nine months of his illness had created an almost insurmountable barrier between me and the man I married. Although I knew that we had been happy, I found it difficult to feel any of that happiness. I used to make myself remember happy times, but it was as though I was an observer, not a participant. It took a while for that to change. Loss hits people in different ways, and you know best how you feel. Other people's expectations of your grief can be distressing, 
And I don't think the pain of loss ever lessens. You don't get over it. You just think about it less. When you do think about it, it can be as dreadful as ever. I feel so angry about what happened to him. I can accept his death, but not the manner of it. It was not fair. Although I don't know why I expect life to be fair. It is hard to let go of the anger because I feel I would be letting him down. End of her comments. So here's a different kind of situation where they were married for a while, you know, and he was 60 years old and strong. And then all of a sudden, uh, he got skin cancer. And the skin cancer kept getting worse. And as it kept getting worse, he kept losing his faculties. And he kept, as he kept losing his faculties, he kept losing the gifts and talents with which he had been born. So his wife, Isabel, stayed home to take care of him, because that's what you do. She could have put him in a place, you know, in a rehab place or in a hospice. I think hospice is the greatest kind of institution that God ever made. Because when you can't cure somebody anymore, you put them in a place where they can be cared for. There's curing and there's caring. And when you can't cure, you care for them. So, but she decided as many of us do, to stay home and take care of them during the end of life. Well, it's not so easy, as you know, because she was a full-time caregiver and she was responsible. She made herself responsible for his every need, his every wish. She was exhausted, as she says, and she was on drugs to keep her awake. She couldn't stay awake. She didn't, she couldn't sleep more than a few hours a night. So she had to do what she had to do. She raises some very interesting issues here. When she says, I wanted his suffering to end, but also didn't want to lose him. I hear that a lot in my grief work. You know, uh, my husband's in the hospital, and he's dying. Could be he's in hospice, could be in a hospital, it could be in anywhere. And he's in a lot of pain. And to lessen his pain, they have to give him so many drugs that they knock him out, and so he sleeps most of the day. So on one hand, he's not in pain. On the other hand, he's not really alive either. He's not in life. He's not enjoying the gifts of life. So then I ask the question, some people say, why does God let this happen? There's so many nasty, horrible, awful people in the world who hurt people, who take advantage of people, and yet they live to a ripe old age and they don't suffer, they just die instantly. My husband, who's a good guy, he has to suffer. And so do I, and I'm a good person. So why? Why does God let such things happen? Why do bad things happen to good people? In a few weeks, I'm going to have a guest who wrote a book. Her name is Carol Fleet. She wrote a book called, uh, Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good Women? Taking uh, a leap from Rabbi Harold Kushner's book title. Hers is called Why Do Bad Why Bad Things Happen to Good People, uh, Good Women. She talks about women who are abused and beaten and all that and and go through an a, a awful life. Uh, but we'll talk to her in a few weeks. So here in our case, here you have the issue that you pray. But what do you pray for? Do you pray for healing? Do you pray that he's going to get better when you know he's not? 
You can see that he's not getting better. Every day it seems getting worse. Skin is worse. He can't even talk to you. He doesn't recognize you. He can get angry with you. He loses control over his, his actions. So he's not the same man you married. So what do you pray for? Do you pray for God to take him? What do you pray for? In Jewish tradition, we have a prayer that most synagogues pray every single Shabbat, Sabbath service, Friday nights, Saturday mornings, and the prayer asks for God to heal the sick. And I have, I read a little paragraph in English, and, and then I invite people who have those sick in their family to announce their names out loud in Hebrew or in English, and then we chant a Hebrew prayer together. The Hebrew prayer that we chant is the prayer that Moses um, prayed to God. In Hebrew it says, El na refanala, please God heal her. He recited this prayer, he prayed this prayer when his sister Miriam was struck down by leprosy. So that's the prayer that we pray in the synagogue. So I have a theological problem because a lot of people whose names are mentioned and we list the names of the sick in our weekly announcements, as do most religious institutions. But the sad thing is that for some of them in a month or two, they've died. And so you're praying for their healing. What does that really mean? Well, there are some who say, well, death is a healing. And I could look at it that way. That is, uh, the way I like to say it is that the angel of death is not always an enemy. Especially when the angel of death comes into your house or into the hospital or the hospice and puts it into pain and suffering and illness. Well, that's a healing in a way, isn't it? Because it allows you to go on with your life. And it's a healing because it eliminates the pain and the stress that he or she is having to go through. But it's a very difficult prayer for me to pray because, again, I'm not sure what we're praying for. So that's the case in Isabel's case. You know, her husband was dying. She knew it. Who knows what he knew? She doesn't talk about it. But she knew he was dying. And so she said, you know, I wanted his suffering to end, but also didn't want to lose him. It's a real problem. I do not have the answer. Uh, you have the answers for yourselves. And uh, if you'd like to share them with me, you can do that. Write me at rabbimel at griefok.com. And we'll have a little dialogue and we'll talk and we'll, you can tell me how you feel about these things. Let's start the third um, response. We won't be able to do it all before the, well, maybe we will, I don't know. This is from Alex from London. Our bond was so strong that even with the terminal cancer diagnosis, we felt invincible. Wow. Without the, even without the terminal cancer diagnosis, we felt invincible. We treated the nine months between my partner's cancer, nine months, that's all, between my partner's cancer diagnosis and death as a time to grow and learn and to become ever closer. Virgil died 10 years ago on November 1st at the age of 35. Wow. We were fortunate our bond was so strong and so close that we felt, even with the terminal cancer diagnosis, that we were invincible. That is an amazing feeling, which gave me enormous strength. But it is hard work caring for somebody so ill. 
It took a lot out of me at times, but you just have to keep going the best you can. Knowing that I had the love of such an extraordinary woman and what she would have done for me had the roles been reversed was another motivation. So she, she got cancer and she died and she was young and he says, you know, uh, there's a picture on the website of the London Guardian newspaper of the two of them standing together at, right before her death and she still has a gleam in her eyes and go no. So let's continue. Let's, uh, I'm not going to be able to finish this before the break and I don't want to stop it too soon. So I think we're going to take a little break and then I will be right back. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. When you're wandering after a life loss, you're really wandering in two directions at the same time. Part of you wants to go back, and part of you wants to go forward. That was also true of the Israelites when they were wandering in the desert with Moses. They didn't want to go back to being slaves, of course, but they did want to go back to the familiarity of home in Egypt. It was predictable and known, and they were afraid, like everyone is, of the unknown. Find out more in Rabbi Mel Glazer's award-winning book, A GPS for Grief and Healing, available at Amazon and in Kindle format. Believe it or not, the Bible talks a lot about grief and healing and can be a powerful source for us to move forward. For example, after Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt where they'd been slaves, they wandered in the desert for 40 years before God would let them into the promised land. God only wanted those who'd been born free, who'd never known slavery, to enter Israel. Those who had been slaves had to die out before their descendants would be allowed to enter the Promised Land. Find out more in Rabbi Mel Glazer's award-winning book, And God Created Hope. Available at Amazon and in Kindle format. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. You are listening to From Morning to Morning. To find out more about our program, visit GriefOK.com. Again, that's GriefOK.com. Now, back to From Morning to Morning. This is Rabbi Mel back with you. I'm reading to you uh, several responses to the death of a loved one. And we're in the middle of um, Alex's response to the death of his wife, Virgil, who died um, last November, a year ago. So he says that It is hard work caring for somebody so ill. It took a lot out of me at times, but you just have to keep doing the best you can. Knowing that I had the love of such an extraordinary woman and what she would have done for me had the roles been reversed was another motivation. So he took good care of her as good as he could. Your life changes as you realize how fragile existence is and you suddenly appreciate your own mortality. Bergeau was healthy as an ox. She never smoked or drank. She exercised and ate amazingly well, yet she still died. The anniversary of her death was a month ago. I spent the day on my own visiting the crematorium where our son Marley, who was stillborn 11 months before his mother died, was cremated. I felt very emotional. 
Her death changed me and I carry her with me wherever I go. I give thanks that I met this amazing woman who made me a better man. When it comes to grief, my only advice is do it your way. Also, don't be afraid of who you are. Everybody will react differently and there is no right or wrong way. That doesn't mean it will be easy, but it doesn't have to be a completely dark period. I know that the be strong remarks were meant helpfully, but I found them fatuous and sought out people who did not make such remarks. They thought they were being nice, but they were wrong. So there you are. He mourns the death of his wife. Um, she, they were in their 50s. She was healthy, but she had cancer. You know, when you have cancer, it eats, up, it eats away. It eats away. You can have chemotherapy and be in remission. And that's the blessing that I give to everyone I know who goes into chemotherapy. It's not pretty. It's not pleasurable. Um, it's not without pain sometimes. You know, sometimes you have to make a decision. You want to keep him alive for three months longer with chemo? Or do you want to let him die in peace now? I know that if, God forbid, it happens to me or my wife, we've talked about it, we're going to die earlier because I don't want to be a burden longer than I have to be. When it's my time for God to take me, God's going to take me. I'm not afraid of that. I have faith. I don't know what happens after I die. Nobody does. Maybe nothing happens to your soul. Maybe nothing. I do believe you live on in those who follow you in life. But in terms of a physical heaven or hell, I don't think so. But you could think so. You're perfectly entitled because nobody knows. If nobody knows, everybody's right. I'm going to say that again. If nobody knows, everybody's right. It's whatever comforts you. So he was comforted by the notion that, as he said, she made me into a better man. I give thanks that I met this amazing woman who made me a better man. Well, how many of our spouses can say that about us? We made them better. He was very fortunate. They were very fortunate. Since their marriage, their relationship was such a powerful one, and he's still young, he's going to get married again. I know it. I feel it. And he's going to be able to lay her gently down, never forget about her, never, but he's going to remember her with love, and he will meet another woman to be his next wife, and they will talk about the first wife, and the second wife will be understanding and loving and compassionate and caring for him. So, I got one more for you. This is from Chloe, who's 38, who says, I didn't allow myself enough chances to just howl at the moon. Express your pain loud and clear. This is what she says. My boyfriend, then 22, died of sudden heart failure when we were both at university together. We had been together for 18 months, and we were head over heels in love. I was with him at the time of his death. Ambulance staff and then doctors at the hospital worked to save his life, but were unsuccessful. They just couldn't. There was no outward sign previously of him being ill, and the reason he died was probably genetic. We learned later that other family members of his had also died young. 
My instant reaction was one of shock and disbelief. Remember we talked about shock before. It's what allows you to keep going to deal with the tragedy or the death in the beginning of the process. Shock and disbelief. I had next to no experience of death at that age. I also felt weirdly numb and disconnected from what had happened. Oh, this is so normal. This is so normal. They're numb. You're numb, remember? You were numb. And one of the things that happens when you're numb is your memory disappears. So I have so many people who are mourning the, the loss last week or yesterday of, of a loved one and they come to my study and we talk and they don't remember details about life. Uh, th their minds are somewhere else. It's perfectly normal. Perfectly normal to forget details. Your mind is somewhere else. It's not where you want it to be. It is somewhere else. Or maybe it is where you really want it to be. That is not having to think about the death of your loved one, but somewhere else. So I felt weirdly numb and disconnected from what had happened. I thought such a huge loss would make me collapse in a heap, but in reality, it was more mundane than that. You end up dealing with your feelings in the moments everyday life leaves you to reflect. Unfortunately, this was maybe not the right strategy, and perhaps I didn't engage enough with my emotions. I ended up dealing with crippling anxiety years later, which is now thankfully under control. My comment to that is that I have a dream one of these years when I finish being a pulpit rabbi. I'd like to go around the country talking to uh, business corporations about how do you deal with the death that happens to people that work for you. Because if you don't deal properly with the people who work for you and their feelings of loss and grief and guilt and numbness and all the rest that we talk about. If you, the head of the corporation, the guy in charge, if you don't help your people deal with these issues, their work is going to suffer. If you give them three days off and for the funeral and then expect them to come back to work, producing the same amount of work that they were producing beforehand, you're going to be in trouble and they're going to be in trouble because they simply cannot do that yet. It's too soon. They need time. You have to help them. I would love to go to corporations and set up uh, group therapy sessions where anybody can just walk in and talk, individual, group, whatever. Because your work suffers when your heart suffers. Your work suffers when your heart suffers. And if any of you out there are heads of corporations or know anybody, write me and tell me. Tell them to get to the website, griefok.com. Tell them to be in touch. I'll go anywhere. Anywhere. Fortunately, I had a very good support system of friends and family. However, my time at university was coming to an end, so a large chunk of our friends dispersed. I could have gone home to my parents for a while, but I felt like staying in a place that was familiar to us. I wanted to be with at least a few people who knew him well, his family, some of our friends. There were cherished moments when as friends we managed to grieve together. But as a group of young people, we were at a loss when it came to dealing with our complex feelings. That's what happens. That's exactly what happens. And you don't know what to do. You got all these feelings inside of you, you've got to have an outlet for them. Like the, the woman before, who, who, or the man before who got into writing, and that was an outlet for the feelings. In hindsight, of course, we were completely ill-equipped to deal with such an event. 
Yes, I was offered grief counseling, which consisted of six sessions. As a half-formed person with a lack of emotional maturity, I told the counselor nothing of importance and unsurprisingly didn't get much out of it. It has made me very aware of how little mental health support people are afforded in modern society. I got on with life because there's only so much crying you can do before you have to go out and buy some milk or groceries. But I feel like maybe I didn't allow myself enough chances to just howl at the moon. You know what that means, just scream your heart out. I would tell anyone in my situation to express their pain loud and clear without fearing other people's reactions. So there you are, my good friends, uh, four expressions of grief, mourning, one a suicide, one skin cancer, one um, uh, sudden heart failure. You know, we've run the gamut of grief. And my prayer for you and my hope is that when somebody you know dies, don't keep it to yourself. Talk about it. Find people you can trust and lay your feelings down even as you lay your loved one down. You'll be a better person for it and then that will allow you to move on in your life with hope in your future. And I will say amen to that. So thank you all for listening. I'll be back next week. Remember, Rabbi Mel at griefok.com. Bye-bye, everybody. Thank you again for joining Rabbi Mel Glazer for From Morning to Morning. Please tune in again next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time and 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We're wishing you strength and hope in the next week.